Hello, and welcome to the Generational Cycle Breaker podcast. My name is Natasha, and I'm your host, and this is episode nine. Before I begin, I do have some disclaimers. First of all, I am not a mental health professional. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. It is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental illnesses. Secondly, there is a trigger warning of trauma, childhood trauma, and mental illness. My sources for today's episode are listed in the show notes. I did get most of my information uh, from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the National Institute of Mental Health, Psychiatry.org, Psychology Today, and the CPTSD Foundation. Today's episode is about PTSD. And um, I was originally going to do PTSD and CPTSD in the same episode, but uh, it would have really ended up being a very long one. So I decided to break them down. So this episode is uh, about PTSD and the next episode will be about CPTSD. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. That is my official diagnosis. I will say that if CPTSD was a diagnosis in the DSM-5, I would be diagnosed with CPTSD instead. But as that is not um, a current diagnosis that is available, my diagnosis is PTSD. And I'd like to talk a little bit today about my story um, of my diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with PTSD when I was 18 years old. And really, I wanted to talk to someone because I didn't, I didn't feel like I was having flashbacks or or anything like that. Um, I just felt nothing. I felt like there was something wrong with me because my emotions were completely blunted. I didn't have any emotions really, except for anger. Um, and otherwise I just felt like the people around me were having these full emotions and this full emotional experience and I just wasn't. And so I didn't really quite understand what was going on. My mom was diagnosed with mental illness, um, when I was young. Um, I believe I was eight years old and we were never really told what she was diagnosed with. We were told that she had a nervous breakdown. Uh, That was about all of the information that we received, just basically that there are um, things in her brain that are not functioning correctly. As an adult, in hindsight now, um, I do have an idea of what she was diagnosed with. Um, I went as an adult with her to an appointment to see a new psychiatrist. Um, And we kind of explained everything that was going on with her when she was ill. She was just going to get medicine. Her psychiatrist had retired and um, she really just needed someone to write prescriptions and he wanted to know what her diagnosis was. And we said we really didn't know. Um, And then explained to him everything that went on. And he said that um, in his opinion more than likely what her diagnosis was, was schizoaffective bipolar disorder. Um, so 
prior to that is when I was diagnosed with PTSD. My mom saw her psychiatrist and was going to an appointment and I knew she was going and I had been talking to her and telling her that I just didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel like, you know, I had these emotions. And she said, why don't you come and you can talk to Dr. Chaudhry was her doctor. And so I went with her and she, um, I went with her into his office and she said, this is my daughter. Um, and explained to him why I was there. And he said, well, I, I can't see her, but I have a partner who uh, works with teens and, and kids. Um, and so he can talk to her while I talk to you. And so I left my mom and went into this other office and talked to the psychiatrist a little bit about my childhood. Um, just very high overview. You know, of course he knew um, that my mom had mental illness because we were there. Um, he didn't ask really many details at all. Um, I kind of explained to him a little bit of what my child was, a childhood was like, um, and a very high overview of what I went through, but no real details. And he spent about five or 10 minutes with me and talk to me and it could have been longer. Um, I could have um, been in there for an hour and not really known, but I, I really think that it was a very short amount of time. And he said, this is what you have. You have PTSD and um, you can do therapy and we recommend, you know, that you take this medicine. He wrote me a prescription, I believe for like an antidepressant. I think it was Wellbutrin actually. Um, and that was it. And I remember being so upset. And in hindsight now, he was a psychiatrist and that probably is very much the way a psychiatrist works. They're, they're not there to do counseling. They're there to diagnose and, and uh, prescribe medication. And so in hindsight, he probably did just fine. But I distinctly remember feeling offended because it felt like there was so much more behind what I was experiencing. And there was so much more behind my childhood um, than just a five minute conversation and diagnosis of PTSD. And so he recommended going to counseling. I, I never saw a therapist. I started to, I filled the Wellbutrin um, prescription and took it for maybe about a week and a half. And it was, I don't think the right medication for me. It made me feel almost like I was, um, zoomy or, um, stimulated. Um, and so I quit taking it and then it was years before I went back to a therapist. And then, um, at that point in time, I still didn't know, you know, that I had PTSD, even though he said that the psychiatrist had said that I was first of all in denial. And second of all, just thought that honestly, that he was full of shit. <laughs> I, I just didn't understand how someone could 
be with me for such a short period of time and really not know what happened and then just put this like strange diagnosis and I had never really heard of PTSD um and at this point in time you know I think I had the internet um but everything was dial up and it was slow and you know you didn't really know a lot about researching it wasn't like it is now so I don't really remember researching much about it the second time I received that diagnosis was years later um, I would say about 10 years later, I started seeing a therapist and this therapist was not trauma um, informed, but she did have several sessions with me. And then um, probably after five or six sessions, it could have been longer. Um, she asked me if I had heard of PTSD. And I had told her in the beginning um, that I wasn't diagnosed and, you know, that I was diagnosed with something before, but I thought it was wrong. And and she had said, you know, it doesn't really matter what your diagnosis is. You know, let's just go ahead and, and do some talk therapy and try to resolve some some things. And then after a while of, of talking, she said, what do you think about this diagnosis? You know, after talking to you, I think that you might have PTSD. And I remember saying to her, like, no, I don't have PTSD. I'm not having, like, flashbacks, you know. Um, and I'm not, you know, this dramatic person like what you see in the movies. And I think that was my biggest hang up on my diagnosis was that the movie depictions of people with PTSD are very oversimplified. You know, you'll have someone who uh, was at war and they're in the middle of sleeping and they're having a dream and then someone wakes them up and they roll over and they almost kill that person. And I wasn't experiencing any of that. Um, I was just, again, numb. And in retrospect now, I know that I was experiencing all of the symptoms and it's obvious and, and not surprising that the psychiatrist diagnosed me within five or 10 minutes, given my history and my symptoms. But at the time, it just didn't click because I was reading. I remember I had looked up or maybe she gave me the DSM-5 diagnosis um, or by this time I had had some college classes and had taken psychology and read the DSM-5 and knew that I had been diagnosed with that, but I just didn't feel like I fit. And, you know, clearly I'm not a mental health professional. Um, so I wasn't aware of the nuances that come along with diagnosis. You know, I was a very black and white thinker. And so it was like, if I don't fit exactly, you know, in this hole that they're wanting me to fit into, then it can't be accurate. Well, now I understand that you don't have to have flashbacks like they show in the movies. And a lot of times you don't when you have CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, your flashbacks will be more of an emotional um, type of flashback. It's not going to be a physical flashback um, as much. I, I think you can still have 
physical flashbacks. Um, but it's just a little bit different and I didn't understand the nuances of it. But she said that and I kind of, you know, started to believe her. Um, I ended up stopping seeing her um, because she she was not trauma informed, um, like I had said before, and she pushed me to try to get me to talk about things that I wasn't ready to talk about. And I fled. That's my survival response. I am a flyer. I will try to get away as soon as possible. The first sign of any kind of, uh, problem or argument interaction, I will try to just get out and get away. And, um, if I'm not able to do that, I will just completely disengage and freeze. Um, so uh, I am a lot better at all of those now that I have learned, um, how to handle those, but that, that is my first instinct. And so when she wanted to talk to me about things that I wasn't ready to talk about, I, didn't understand why she had asked me and I felt like it was written all over my face. Um, what she had specifically asked me about was uh, childhood sexual abuse and I felt like there must have been something written on my face that was obvious to other people that I had experienced that because she guessed it. And I remember she asked me and I, and I said, she asked me if I had experienced that. And I said, yes, how do you, how do you know that? Like, how can you tell that by looking at me? Like what, why did you ask me that? And she said, no, I, not at all. It, I just, it's very common when you grow up in a chaotic household to have something like that happen. But still at that time, I just ran away. I never went back to see her. Um, it was not something I was ready to talk about. And then I saw another therapist a few years later, and this therapist also gave me the diagnosis of PTSD. And um, that therapist did a little bit of EDMR with me. And it was a very, very new practice at that time. Um, she had just started learning about it and she tried some and it really gave me good relief. Um, and then while I was seeing her, I ended up, uh, moving across the country, got a new therapist. Uh, and by that time I had accepted my diagnosis of PTSD. Um, so I was able to accept it and do the work that I needed to do in order to heal. So that's a little bit about my diagnosis story. I don't know if other people um, who have suffered childhood trauma like I did have the same experience with PTSD. I do know that I tried to talk to some of my siblings about uh, PTSD and they were like, no, I don't have that. Um, so I think that it's a common response. Um, but it is definitely something that people who suffer traumatic childhood, um, deal with. 
And I'm so glad that the information nowadays is so much better and people are being diagnosed and helped with those childhood traumas. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and it is a disorder that develops in some people who have experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. It started out um, as being called shell shock after World War One, and so it was noticed when when soldiers came back from World War One that they um, had this cluster of symptoms, and then after World War Two, it was called combat fatigue. It wasn't until um, in the the more recent years that um, it was determined that it's not just um, military people that and people who are in war, that people can develop PTSD after they're in an accident, after a terrorist act like 9-11, after a natural disaster, if they're raped, and also if they have like indirect exposure. So um, a secondhand type of PTSD is um, something that is experienced by police officers sometimes when they hear traumatic stories and see traumatic things over and over again. Now, CPTSD, I will talk about more in the next episode, like I said, but it differs in that the trauma sufferer was exposed to repeated and prolonged traumatic events. Um, So that's the differentiation between the two. Again, CPTSD is not in the DSM-5. There is a push for it, um, but as of yet, it has not been recognized. PTSD affects 3.6% of U.S. adults every year. One in 11 people will be diagnosed in their lifetimes. Women are two times more likely than men. And Black, Indigenous, and people of color are disproportionately affected by PTSD. PTSD can happen at any age, and it's directly linked to trauma. But not everyone who suffers trauma will develop PTSD. It's definitely an ongoing area of research, and we are learning every day more information about it. There are um, some different theories regarding why some people develop PTSD and why some people don't. One thought is that some people's biological instincts around trauma responses, such as their heart rate and the the divergence of blood to muscles, can leave us with ongoing symptoms. So there's a thought that it might not even be a disorder, but a variant of a natural human response to trauma. What we do know is that Risk factors, um, there are risk factors that increase the risk of PTSD, and there are resilience factors that help to reduce the risk. So various risk factors are living through dangerous events and trauma, getting hurt, seeing other people hurt, having childhood trauma, feeling helpless, having no social support after a traumatic event, dealing with extra stress after a traumatic event, like a loss of a job or a home or a loved one, dealing with substance abuse and a history of mental illness. So those are the risk factors that increase the risk of PTSD. And then resilience factors help to reduce the risk. 
Resilience factors are seeking out support from family and friends, finding a support group, learning to feel good about your actions in the face of danger, having a positive coping strategy, and being able to respond effectively in the face of fear. The um, signs and symptoms of PTSD are um, very common in people who have been traumatized, but most traumatized people will have short-term symptoms of PTSD. They usually begin within three months, but sometimes they begin years later. For diagnosis, the symptoms must last more than a month and interfere with daily functioning or cause significant distress. And I remember specifically thinking about my PTSD diagnosis that why would I develop PTSD at, at 18 or 19? Like I was totally fine when I was growing up. I, I didn't have these symptoms when I was younger. I didn't even have them as a teenager. Looking back in retrospect, I know that I did. Um, I just wasn't aware of them. Um, but one thing that um, is specific to PTSD that I wasn't aware of at the time is that you, you're not going to develop the symptoms of PTSD until you are out of the environment that caused it. And so as long as you're in that environment, as long as your um, body is being triggered and your nervous system is being put on high alert, you're not going to have the symptoms of the PTSD because they specifically in the name, it's post-traumatic. So they will not happen until after the traumatic experience. Now, PTSD must be um, diagnosed by a licensed mental health professional. So if I read through these um, symptoms and signs and they sound like you and you do not see a licensed mental health professional, then I would highly recommend finding someone who um, can help you and who, who can get you that diagnosis and who can start treatment with you. There are four broad categories of symptoms for PTSD. Those four broad categories are re-experiencing, avoidance, cognitive and mood, and arousal. And in order to be diagnosed, you have to have at least one re-experiencing symptom, at least one avoidance symptom, at least two arousal symptoms, and at least two cognition and mood symptoms. So let's talk about these uh, symptoms and give more ex specific examples of them. First, uh, the category of re-experiencing. This can be felt as intrusive thoughts, repeated involuntary memories, distressing dreams. They can also be flashbacks. Uh, it might be like you see in the movies. They may be so vivid that it's like reliving the traumatic experience. Um, but they don't have to be that extreme. So 
um, a lot of people will have those intrusive thoughts and repeated involuntary memories. That is probably the most um, common symptom that I've experienced myself. I also do have um, nightmares. I'm a lot better with my nightmares than I used to be. Uh, I've worked with my therapist on uh, ways to try to manipulate my dreams by meditating before I sleep and also by kind of thinking out the dream before I go to sleep uh, and having, you know, different endings um, to try to really uh, manipulate my subconscious mind. Um, and doing that has helped quite a bit with my um, nightmares. And then um, I really personally have not had very many traditional flashbacks. There have been a few times that I do um, have those, but I think because one of my primary ways of dealing with high stress situations is shutting down and dissociating, I do that really honestly before I probably have those more traditional type of flashbacks. The next section of or next category of symptoms is avoidance. And this is avoiding reminders of the traumatic event. So you could avoid people, places, activities, objects, or even situations that trigger the distressing memories. You might try to not think about it or resist talking about it. Um, all of those different um, ways of avoiding the memories of it fall under that category. The third category is changes in cognition and mood, and this would be um, unable to remember important aspects of the events, feeling detached or estranged from others, trouble expressing positive emotions. Um, this is where a lot of that dissociating comes in. And um, also just the um, emotions. You might have distorted and negative thoughts and feelings about yourself and others feeling numb or having out-of-body experiences. The last category of arousal and reactivity would be irritability, angry outbursts, reckless and destructive behavior, being hypervigilant, which is overly watchful, being easily startled, having problems concentrating and sleeping, feeling tense and on edge, and those arousal and reactivity symptoms a lot of times are a constant thing that you experience. So I'm going to go back over my experience that I had uh, and what I said I experienced as a teenager. Um, I was having intrusive thoughts and memories. Um, I wasn't aware of it. Um, but I, I definitely was. I still have that. Um, it's something that um, I have to talk myself down from and have had to learn a lot of grounding techniques to, to get through them. Um, 
at the time that I was diagnosed, I didn't really feel like I was avoiding uh, (laughs) people or places. I really wasn't because I was so enmeshed and codependent with the people who had caused me harm that um, I wasn't avoiding them, but I certainly did avoid talking about the experience. The changes in cognition and and mood, um, you know, obviously I had, I said I was feeling numb. That was my main reason for seeing the psychiatrist. And then I had also said to him that I, the only emotion that I remembered feeling was angry. So looking back through the four categories, um, it is very obvious to me now that a diagnosis of PTSD uh, based on the history was probably a no-brainer. I experienced probably all of those symptoms, um, at least the the vast majority of them. So uh, one thing that I would like to add into the arousal and reactivity category is um, for a long time, I thought that I had ADHD as well. Um, And I have learned through my therapist that it can come off as ADHD when you have PTSD. Uh, the problem's concentrating. Um, because you're hypervigilant, you're having trouble paying attention. Um, and, and just being, you know, kind of jumpy and, and energetic. Um, and these are examples of those nuances that I was talking about that a really, if you are experiencing any of these things and you think that you could possibly have PTSD or any other psychological um, disorder, I hate to use the word disorder, but um, any other um, difficulties that you're dealing with, that seeing a mental health professional who understands those nuances is so important. Now, as far as young children for PTSD, they do have different uh, presenting symptoms a lot of times than adults. Um, They will present a lot of times with regression. So they might start wetting the bed after they've been trained um, completely for, um, uh, they might be completely out of diapers, completely potty trained, and, and then they might start wetting the bed again. They might um, forget how to or be unable to talk, or they might become unusually clingy with a trusted adult. And then they also sometimes will act out the trauma that they've experienced during play with dolls. The main treatments for PTSD are medication and psychotherapy. The medications most used are antidepressants. You have SSRIs and SNRIs. Um, so that psychiatrist giving me Wellbutrin um, was, I mean, that makes sense as of now. Uh, I do take SSRI now um, and I feel like taking that has made a huge impact on my healing. Um those can help to lower the anxiety. They can help uh, to treat sleep problems. People might actually get specific medicines for anxiety instead of just SSRIs. They also might get um, medication for helping them to sleep. 
the symptom relief allows for better participation in therapy. So for instance, in my situation, if I was not on an SSRI, that helps me to be able to take that pause that I need to be able to regulate myself. I was not in the past able to get to a point where I could heal the traumatic experiences, that I could heal my trauma because I would get so elevated that I was basically just re-experiencing my trauma. I wasn't processing it at all. And then the other modality for treatment is psychotherapy, of course. Um, Specific to PTSD, there's EMDR. I did say EDMR earlier, so I apologize for that. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And this is that treatment that I um, said really made a big difference for me. What it does is it reduces emotional distress. It stimulates your brain with back and forth eye movement um, and tapping. Some I, I don't know if it, there's always tapping involved. In my experience, there was always tapping. Um, and at the same time, you recall a traumatic event. And then you can replace that negative emotional reaction with a less charged positive reaction or belief. So the way it worked for me, and I haven't done it in a long time, so I don't know if it's different now. Um, but the first practitioner I used did really just tapping. Um, and she used a pen. So I would do the tapping. I would cross my arms over my chest and do the tapping on my shoulders or I would put my hands on my knees and tap back and forth and she would take a pen and move it back and forth in front of my eyes and what we would do is I would recall a situation I didn't even need to talk about it um, and and let her know the specific situation but I would recall a situation And while I was recalling the situation, I would continue the movement and the tapping. And what that would do is is help me to stay in the present. And so then she would start talking about my body and where I felt um, whatever feelings were coming up from that memory, where in my body I felt them. And I would focus on that. And then... Prior to uh, doing the uh, starting the treatment, we discussed a safe person, a safe place for me. And so she would then have me recall that safe place. The second person I did EMDR with was um, an actual, EMDR had been around for a little while. She was an actual clinician. The first uh, person had just started learning about it. Um, it was a a newly, um, used therapy at that time, but by the time I saw the second therapist, it was more widely used. Um, and I was out in Arizona by an air force base. So I don't know if that's why, um, it was easier maybe to find someone at that point in time too, because, um, EMDRs, you know, of course used for PTSD. I know that that therapist worked with a lot of military people, but she had, a light bar and I would look at the light bar and it would have uh, the light would go back and forth back and forth from side to side um, and did basically the same 
process um, of recalling memories and uh, going through them, learning grounding techniques, feeling it in my body, thinking, you know, of, of safe things and helping my body to remain calm. So um, if you're curious about EMDR, that's my experience. Um, I'm not sure if other people have different experiences. I don't know if that is um, a typical experience. I will at one point in time do a podcast episode on EMDR and do more research so that I can find out if it is still done that way or if research has shown that other ways are more effective. Um, so stay tuned for that. I'm not sure when I will do that, but sometime in the future, I definitely will. Another type of therapy that's done is exposure therapy. Um, and this is when people work with a therapist to identify triggers and learn techniques to avoid becoming anxious, then confront the triggers in a safe environment. Um, I have done the beginning part of this, identifying triggers and learning techniques to avoid becoming anxious during those triggers. Um, that is, is a very prominent part of what my therapy has been over the past several years since um, doing the EMDR. Um, and I will talk about my triggers in that environment, in that safe environment of therapy and come up with uh, plans of action for how to handle them when I am in this situation. I, for me personally, was not able to do that until I did the EMDR and until I was also medicated. Um, every, every reminder, every trigger was just too heightening for me. Um, so that might be an experience that you have. If you start with a therapist, I, first of all, would really, um, highly recommend that you find a therapist who is trauma informed. Um, I have had vastly different experiences with trauma informed therapists versus non trauma informed therapists. And, um, it's really important that you work with someone who I mean, knows how to deal with people, knows how to treat people with uh, PTSD because um, if you don't, the person can end up doing a lot more um, bad than good. I would say that um, had I not been... Um, really almost traumatized by that first therapist who was not trauma informed and who asked me and tried to get me to talk about things that I wasn't ready to talk about. Um, I feel like I probably would have healed sooner. I feel like there was a little bit more damage done than good there. And I shied away from, from therapy for quite a few years because of that experience. Um, and then the next therapist that I saw, who I did the original EMDR with, we talked about a lot of things and I felt like I healed a lot of things. But then once we got to that subject and I felt like I was ready um, to bring up the sexual abuse, I talked to her about it and then um, I really wasn't ready. 
and the way that she approached me about it and the way that she talked to me about it made me not comfortable as well. So I don't think that she was um, really highly trained in trauma or certified maybe. I don't even know if that is necessarily, uh, wasn't necessarily a thing back then. But um, the way she talked to me about it um, was different than the therapist that I see now who I specifically, you know, sought out trauma-informed therapists. And I'm sure, I mean, this is, this journey for me, I am 40 years old. So this journey has been 22 years in the making. That's the first time that I saw a psychiatrist, the psychiatrist was 22 years ago. So, um, things have changed drastically in that amount of time. So I, I'm sure that there are things that they, that people in the field know now that they should and shouldn't do that they had no idea 15, 20 years ago. Other therapies that may be used for uh, people being treated for PTSD are CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And with that, you identify negative or false beliefs, and then you restructure those beliefs. So with CBT, a lot of what I did um, was identifying those unhelpful beliefs, those core beliefs, and then challenging them and basically reparenting myself um, to develop different core beliefs. DBT is dialectical behavior therapy, and it's a lot like CBT, but it's um, more about validating and accepting those uncomfortable thoughts. Psychodynamic psychotherapy is recognizing negative behavior and feelings rooted in the past and resolving them. Another therapy that um, is used is ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And that therapy is about embracing thoughts and feelings as a normal reaction to difficulties of life. And then forming mindfulness and committing to making the necessary changes no matter what is happening in your life. I have done more of the acceptance and commitment therapy in relation to chronic disease that I have. Um, but I can definitely see how it would be beneficial for people who have experienced trauma. There's also animal assisted therapy and emotional support pet pets, um, especially dogs. People um, find that they um, get a lot of assistance from dogs. I personally do um, get great emotional support from my dogs, even though they're pets, they're not emotional support um, animals. They haven't been trained in anything like that, but um, there is something about that unconditional love and just the way dogs can hold space um, for people, for lack of a better word, that really can be healing uh, for people with relational trauma. And then I, there are also people who are treated with acupuncture and hypnosis. 
Um, I have not experienced either one of those types of treatments, um, but those are treatments that I do plan on researching and looking into in the future. And then, of course, there are a lot of self-management strategies. Um, you can always do things to help yourself. You can learn mindfulness techniques and self-soothing techniques. Any kind of mild physical activity or exercise can help as well. Um, and finding safe people and safe environments. The mindfulness and physical activity and self-soothing um, gentle exercise can be really helpful for people who have experienced childhood trauma, especially those who have the freeze response um, and people who basically survived by cutting themselves off from their bodies because those techniques can help them to become more aware of their bodies again, um, which helps with regulation. In my next episode, I am going to be talking about complex post-traumatic stress disorder, like I said before, and then I will be talking about ACEs as well. That's really it for uh, PTSD. Um, I hope that this was helpful. And um, I do want to also um, apologize for the length of time between episodes. I recorded the first part of this episode um, almost two weeks ago, but then um, the flu came into my household and so i um, been dealing with taking care of family members and taking care of myself. Um, but my next episode, I do plan on releasing next week about complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And then I'm going to talk about those ACEs the following week, hopefully. Um, no, hopefully we don't have our whole household get sick again. Um, but I do think that... Um, that sometimes it's okay to take those breaks. I um, had an interview with a psychologist actually um, that I will be publishing in a few weeks that was really incredible. Um, and one thing that she said to me because I said, oh, I don't really plan out my episodes I, I like that far in advance. I just kind of plan for the next week or two. Um, I am foremost a, a mom um, for my young children. Uh, I take care of them full-time as a stay-at-home mom, so um, that's my first focus. I am doing this podcast um, and the related social media really just as I find the time. Um, but her response to that was, you know, you're doing an, a podcast about trauma. So the people who are listening might not really feel up to listening to episodes every week anyway. You know, healing isn't linear and sometimes you just need a break from your trauma, <laughs> from dealing with it and thinking about it. Um and I felt really good about that response of hers. Um, I don't know if um, 
my listeners uh, feel that way, but um, I feel that way. There is, I, I'm really enjoying doing this podcast and doing the social media related to it, but I will say that um, it sometimes is difficult and sometimes I do need a break from it. Um, it can be really draining to bring up all of this sludge, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, it's healing. It's healing and I feel like it's something that I'm definitely called to do. And I want to do it to help other people um, to not feel alone and to help other people who have experienced the same thing as I have to possibly come to terms with their experience as well. But it is also very hard work. So I appreciate you being patient with me and bearing with me on the gaps in episodes. Um, I will try to publish an episode every week. Um, I know how important consistency is for people who have ex experienced trauma. Um, so I really want to be more consistent, but I'm not sure how consistent I can be at this stage in my life. But I do thank you so much for being here and listening and healing along with me. If you find the podcast helpful, if you enjoy it, then please feel free to leave a review um, and a rating that will help other people to find the podcast and hopefully not feel so alone as well. I do want to end this episode with a quote and our affirmation. This quote that I'm going to share is by Dawn Sarah, S-E-R-R-A, and that goes like this. There's no time stamp on trauma. There isn't a formula that you can insert yourself into to get from horror to heal healed. Be patient. Take up space. Let your journey be the balm. And I think that is so true. And I think it's so important that as trauma survivors, we are gentle with ourselves. I am so glad that you joined me today. I love you. And I want you to finish out with this affirmation. Go ahead and put one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. If you're able to close your eyes and say to yourself, I am strong. I am kind. I am good. And I am worthy of love. Thank you so much, Cycle Breakers. I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.